Good evening. When we think of sin and temptation, uh, some of the first ones that might pop to our mind are the, the sins or the temptations of lust or maybe the temptation of, of pride. And while they're very deadly, there may be others that are even more damaging to men and women in our culture. And even some of us here tonight, it's not as obvious or as blatant in some ways, it's easier to hide. It's maybe more acceptable, especially in our affluent culture. I'm talking about materialism, greed, or envy, as the Bible talks about it. Both of these areas are condemned both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In more than 27 years of ministry, I have met with people who are just sharing their soul over a table, sometimes on the front row, just you know, sharing, and they're confessing. Sometimes it's the sin of adultery, sometimes they're addicted to something or other sins. I've never heard anybody confess, I'm greedy. Have you? I mean, we, we know it's there, we know it's a possibility, but it, there's something about when it comes to this topic, we, we sort of grade on the sliding scale. And it's a tough one to pin down because it seems so relative. It's almost like it's the acceptable sin because everybody's doing it. It's sort of acceptable to everybody. Maybe that's why it's so deadly. But as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount and understand this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is describing, once again, he's going to elevate the standard for those who follow him. And what I want to do in our study, if you've got an outline, you see there's three different questions I want to ask, kind of more of a, a personal inventory, uh, or maybe a better word would say a physical, because I really do want us to look at our heart and, and, and ask some questions. The first one is this, where do you store your treasures? Where do you store your treasures? If you're going to write something down, let your heart test be this. What is it that, you know, if they, they hook you up to an EKG, they're, they're monitoring your, your, your heart to see, you know, how, how you're doing. And if you had a, a machine that you could hook up to your spiritual heart, that when, what would make your heart race? What would make it beat a little faster? What is it that makes you kind of get your attention, your devotion, your heart? What, what would that reveal? Open your Bibles to Matthew 6. That's going to be our text for pick up where we left off. We're going to work our way through really a rather short passage tonight. But I hope we'll have a better grasp of what Jesus is teaching here to this crowd. In verse 19 through 21, of chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mark Moore says that in the first century, wealth was not accumulated in bank accounts. So they used a different way of measuring for them, it would be precious metals or in a clothing wardrobe. That's why Jesus says, don't store up treasures where moths and rust can corrode the clothing, the, the, the metals here. In other words, he wants them to see that worldly riches are a poor investment. And what Jesus does here is he talks about it. He covers all the bases. So when it comes to possessions, first I want you to think about the world's temporary perspective. How does society look at stuff? at possessions. 
I'm reminded of John Piper's comments in his book, Desiring God. Listen to what he says. All the evils in the world come not because of our desires for happiness are too strong, but because they are so weak that we settle for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy our deepest souls, but in the end destroy them. The root of all evil is that we're kind of the people who settle for the love of money instead of the love of God. Isn't that true? And, you know, I think one of the most misquoted passages of Scripture is from 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. See, I were watching an old movie this week, and they messed it up. They just said money is the root of all kinds of evil. And sometimes we fall into that. But God's Word never says it. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Paul gives Timothy some warnings about this as well. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 9. This is on the screen if you want to follow along. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You know, if you think about it, we've been reminded in recent times of the uncertainty of the stock market, the uncertainty of the economy, the uncertainty of our retirement. We thought we had it set, another change in the insurance. It was supposed to be set for life, and nothing's set. We've been reminded, even as a nation, of our own vulnerability. Solomon says in Proverbs 23, 5, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. It's amazing the way greed, materialism, possessions, it consumes us. We buy things that we don't need. If you think about just the, the last, what, 20 years or so with uh, the, the easy credit cards, the number of people declaring bankruptcy, it just continues to go up and up. William Ezell said, getting into debt is like riding a bicycle downhill. Maybe you've heard this before. It's exhilarating at first. Life in, the, uh, in the, life in the charge lane is a lot of fun, but you always have to go back home uphill. That's how debt works. Jesus gives us a warning in Luke 12, 15. He says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So we need to see the world's temporary perspective, but also, and secondly, see the Christian's eternal perspective. How do you store up treasures in heaven? He says that, but, but how do you do that? Well, I think the most specific list is found in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 19. If you're going to fill in the blanks, it's on the screen, or the blanks on one side, and then the verse on the other. But how do you do it? Number one, be humble. Look at verse 17, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Number two, depend on God. Don't put their, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. He's the one who blesses us. He wants us to enjoy those blessings. They are a gift from Him. As long as our backdrop is our hope is in Him, and not the blessings, and not our wealth. Another way, do good deeds. Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. You serve others. Now, he's not saying here you earn your way to heaven. It's all based on your behavior. Your salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that. You know, this week, our teens are going to have a whole week 
of service, and they're kicking it off tonight with a special gathering every day serving people in our community, in Nashville, even our own members. And it's a good thing, this whole service station that we're trying to start, the same way, just serving, being rich in good deeds is the word Paul would use. Then the fourth way he says here is to be generous. The last part of that verse, and to be generous, willing to share. So your attitude should be one that where we hold on to the things of the world loosely. What's mine is yours. And I'll gladly share. When you leave here today, when you start your week tomorrow, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to be generous. Maybe it's with a family friend, uh, a, me- a, a family uh, member or a friend. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a server at a restaurant. Maybe it's a, a sitter or somebody you pay to do a service. You're going to have an opportunity to be generous. You have all sorts of ways to let your light shine and let Christ show through you, to be generous as he talks about here. But look at the 19th verse. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, all these earthly pleasures and treasures, they're not really life. This is not what it's about. What is life is to come. This existence is filled with stress and and worry, just trying to make it and keep it. But that's not the life that we should be focused on. I have seen some people, and maybe you've read too about people, they put their own spin on Jesus' words in this passage and, and really make him say, I think what he's not saying. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, talks about how Christians need to have the right perspective that money itself is not evil. And poverty is not necessarily a spiritual blessing. Listen to his words. Instead of recognizing their responsibility to help others with the goods at their disposal, they're haunted by the more radical thought that their service to God would be better if they were poor, or at least if they owned nothing beyond what is required to meet their daily needs. They are troubled by the idea that the very possession of surplus goods or money is evil. Stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. And then he says being poor is one of the poorest ways to help the poor. These are good words of clarity. Jesus is not calling us to to a life of, of poverty. Jesus' complaint as he's sharing this upside-down living is not against wealth. That's not what he's saying. His complaint is about your attitude toward wealth. It's about your perspective. Or as he says, it's about your heart. For your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So Jesus begins with a heart test. Where do you store your treasure? The next, he talks about the eye test. Where do you focus your attention? Look there, back in the text, Matthew 6, verse 22 and following. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So how's your vision? When's the last time you had a spiritual eye test? See, there's an interesting analogy here with which Christ chooses to connect materialism in fact, the, the Bible it talks about the eye oftentimes as a gateway to show what's really on the inside. 
It's not just what you see out, but when you look into someone's eye, you look into their soul. You look into their character. You look into their heart. You look into their mind. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to a person with an evil eye. Remember that phrase? Evil eye. What do you think of when you hear evil eye? Do you think of someone who's mean? Maybe your mother or grandmother, that librarian, would give you the evil eye. You mean like, get in line? Maybe that's what we think of, the evil eye. But that's not what it meant in Jesus' day. That's not what Jesus meant when he said evil eye. When Jesus refers to the evil eye, you know what it meant? The eye of envy. That's why it's evil. It's when you see somebody else who has more and you're envious. That's the evil eye. It's not meanness. It's envious. It's that greedy eye. And that's what Jesus is warning them against. You make certain that your eye looks nothing like that, is what he's saying. In Ecclesiastes 2.10, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Now understand, it's not just for a person that starts with the eyes. It's also when we see something we think we've got to have. And there are commandments after commandments, old and new, that warns us about greed, about covetousness, uh, about envy as God tries to get this warning out. Now, does that mean you can never go to a tour of homes? Maybe check out a model home, maybe go to a big Nashville home show and see the latest? Yes, it does. You can thank me later. No, it doesn't. And we know that. You go to a friend's house, maybe they just remodeled. It's like, is there anything wrong with that? I'd like to do that to our deck. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's when it becomes consuming. And it's all we focus on. That's what he's talking about. That's when it becomes a problem. Oftentimes it comes simply to this. How do you view people who have more than you? How do you view people who have more than you? That's the test. What's your perspective with that? And one way to do an eye test is to find out if you're greedy or not is you can truly rejoice with somebody, a friend, a relative, a co-worker, and something good happens to them, this windfall, this blessing, and they get to advance, they get to expand, they, they have more money, whatever it is. Are you wishing it was you? Or are you truly happy for them? See, if you're jealous, if you're envious, it's very telling. That's what this whole discussion is about that Jesus is saying. Proverbs 14, 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You know, I think sometimes we need spiritual blinders on. You ever wish you could just put on blinders to focus on what you need to focus on? Because our world is full of advertising and, and marketing and, 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 and there's billboards and it's everywhere. They're trying to tell you, this is what you need to look at. This is what you need to aspire to. This is what's going to make you happy. This is the person you need to be like and, and look like and make enough money like. And, and it's on and on and on. And it's always before us and it's hard to get away from it. They're dictating our life. Who are your models? Who are your role models? Who do you admire? Who do you think, you know, if I had what they had... I live where they lived. If I made what they made, then I'd be happy. Who is that for you? 
And if we're not careful, we can even send mixed messages to the world. As Christians, we want to send a clear signal, but sometimes we don't when it comes to greed and materialism. And if you can't rejoice with someone who's been blessed, then you've got a problem with greed. Randy Alcorn said this, We ought to periodically take our kids to the junkyard to let them see what happens to the material things that people long for. We need to show them that these things that people long for and which were so important to people 10 years ago are now wasted in the junkyard. Everything the world has is temporary. That's why when it comes to your eye test, you need to make sure your focus is on the Lord. You know the verses, Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. I think sometimes we rationalize, I'm just window shopping. I was at Home Depot yesterday, and the guy asked me, can I help you? I said, no, I'm just enjoying looking. And it really was enjoying looking. But if you're not careful, you look every single day, online, in the store, it's consuming you. And we're greedy. It's got a hold of your heart. One guy talked about jogging on a treadmill. He said it was, he was somewhere else and he was on the treadmill and they had a television in the room, but it was over in the corner and up to the, up to the ceiling. And he really got engrossed as he was jogging on the treadmill. He was watching the TV and the program and he kept falling off the treadmill because he was looking over to the side. It happens. It's where you look. My dad taught me how to make a straight row in the garden. I say he taught me. I didn't say I learned it. But he taught me how to do that. He said, you set your eyes, you focus. You don't look down, you look forward. And you don't move. First John 2, verse 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You know, in this passage, it talks about the lust of the eyes, and I'm not so sure that in this case, he's speaking of the sexual sense. I think he's talking about our lust for things. Or less for stuff. It's greed. I think some of us have to be more careful about this than others. Are you an impulse buyer? Are you the kind that if you've got it, you see it, you know, maybe it's at the mall, maybe it's a big purchase, or maybe it's just going to the grocery store and you're a sucker for what's on the end of the aisle. Or even as you just check out the lane. It may not be the mall. Maybe it's a tool. Maybe it's the latest electronic gadget. But know your weaknesses. Discipline your eyes, whether you're leaving through a magazine, your own Pinterest, whether you're online or in a store, just, just know your weakness. Remember the words of the song we would sing as children? Be careful, little eyes, what you see, because the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Listen to Paul's words, Philippians 4.12. From the jail cell, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. His mind was focused. 
solely focused. And he wasn't content with his status as far as his character and his development. He wanted to grow in the Lord, but he was content with the circumstances. Well, the final question. Whom do you choose to serve? Whom do you choose to serve? Most of us would think it may be a grip test. You ever seen one of those machines that you, you grab the handle and, it, and depending on how hard you can squeeze it, it measures your grip? Well, this is a grip test that Jesus gives to the crowd, gives to the listeners, and through the Holy Spirit, we have it as well. What are you holding to tightly? Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of you remember the King James rendition of this? You cannot serve God and mammon. Remember that word? Mammon. What does that mean? It's an Aramaic term. It means all of your wealth, all of your things, all of your property. It's something which one, a person puts his confidence. And when you try to have two, what he's saying is, it's never a tie. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. It's just the way it is. If God, if he's the Lord of your life, he's going to interfere with the other pursuits. They can't both come first. So what are you holding on to? with your hands. Back in 1987, on a commuter flight from Maine to Boston, the pilot, his name was Henry Dempsey, he heard an unusual noise from the rear of the plane. So he gave the controls over to the co-pilot. He went over to the back to check it out. As he reached the tail section, they hit an air pocket. It threw him against the door in the back. That was the problem. The door was not fastened properly. And his weight, when he hit the door, it went open, sucked him out. The co-pilot saw the light, the door was open, he radioed in for an emergency landing, immediately went down, he called for a helicopter to start looking for the body they knew he had fallen out. They found Dempsey after the plane landed, holding on to the ladder of the plane. That somehow he caught the ladder and held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles per hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet, and then when the landing, he kept his head from hitting the runway, which is only 12 inches away. According to the news reports, it took airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers off of the ladder. We can only imagine. What are you holding on to? You and I both have known people who hold on to certain things with the same white-knuckle intensity. For dear life, we would say. Maybe on a personal level, your whole life has been about acquisition, about getting, about expanding, instead of being about relinquishing, about giving, about sharing. What are you holding on to? I think whatever owns you is what you will serve. There's a theologian, Zwigli, that said, if you possess something that you're not willing to part with, then you do not possess it. It possesses you. So hold on loosely to the things of the world. You might have money. You might have influence. You might have power, and that's fine. Provided you find your value and your significance in Jesus. And not in this stuff, 
of the world. Hotelage of the things of God and lucid to the things of the world. You know, when you travel to a foreign country, one of the things you want to know is, is money. You know, can you afford it and how much money do you need? And even when you go to that country, you're, you're, you're concerned about currency. You know, will they take U.S. dollars? What about my debit card or my credit card? Am I safe to use that? And is it best to exchange, you know, U.S. dollars into the local currency? Every year when we went to Honduras, we would take, you know, we'd pay for everything up front, but we always took some cash with us. You've traveled like that. You don't want to have a little bit with you. And so we would take maybe $100, maybe two, not a lot, but just a little bit of money. So if, if you needed something while you were there, and we would always have this guy meet us at the airport, and he had this wad of money. And he would, you know, change that. It was amazing. It's always good, you know, when the exchange rate is in your favor, you know. You get maybe a couple hundred bills and you get this huge wad of money. And it could be so tempting, you know, to take a whole bunch of money with you, you know, into your savings account, take out a second mortgage, and think of that wad of money. But no, you're just there for a couple of days. You're just there for a week. You just take what you need. Think about that. Just take what you need. In the big picture, in the eternal perspective, 80 years, it's like seven days. Just take what you need. Don't worry about this world. You see, it's really just a heart issue. Remember Jesus' words, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Recognize the name David Livingston? Or if I said David Livingston, I presume? You've heard of him? A missionary who went to the deepest parts of Africa, helped the people there to hear the good words of Jesus Christ. While he was there for decades, he became sick and eventually died. Now, he's from England. He was from Europe. But he eventually died there. And something very unusual happened what do you do with the body? That wasn't his home. Well, they were going to ship his body back to England. But the locals there, he had so impacted them. They did something rather bizarre. You know what they did? They cut his heart out and kept it. You can send the body back to England. But his heart belongs to Africa, they said. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let me ask you this question. If you were to die this week, where would they bury your heart? Remember that test I said at the beginning? They would hook you up to a machine, you know what you see, what's going on, what would make your heart beat faster? If you were to die this week, would they bury your heart at the office? The homeless shelter, the mall, the ball field, the sports arena, the restaurant, the party, the church, at the orphanage in the Ukraine, at the country club. You know, as, as we speak about this, I imagine there's some of you who are thinking, this is so good, the rich people need to hear this. Yes, they do. And you know where I'm going. See, we think of rich people as those who make about, I don't know, 15, 20, 25,000 more dollars than me, than you. Those are the rich people. 
you know, that much more. But don't misunderstand Christ's words. His admonition is not about wealth. It's about greed. It's about materialism. You can be on food stamps and have a dark heart, dark eyes full of greed and covetousness and lose your soul much more than a millionaire whose value and identity is in Jesus Christ and he has a spirit of generosity. It's not about how much you have. It's about how you deal with what you do have. As one author says, if you're on welfare in the U.S., then you're wealthier than 95% of the people in any third world country. We are rich. Every one of us are rich. So the question is, what, where is your priority? Where will they bury your heart? In Matthew 26, 16, Jesus says, What good does it do if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? And the psalmist, 20 verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I want to invite you to trust in God. To trust in the one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. To trust in the one who spoke the universe into existence. To trust the one who has so much value that he gave it all up. He is, well, instead of it being a rags to riches story, it's a riches to rags story. He gave up the splendor of heaven to come down and die on the cross for you. He became poor so that you could become rich. You could have salvation. You could have the promise of eternal life. Riches to rags. We're calling this study the upside down kingdom because everything Jesus teaches is so radical, so unlike the world then and even the world now. And he invites you in. But so different way of living. Tonight, if you want to name the name of Jesus, have your sins washed away in baptism, the water is always ready. Or if we can pray for you in your walk, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?